Peace of the planet Earth, you know what it is, a decent evangelical. This is the Bishop Chronicles, and you know my life, man. Anybody, you know anything about me? A little bit? Okay. Hip-hop and chess, man. That's like, you know what I'm saying? One of the many things I am known for. There are many scrolls to be written about my adventures throughout the Earth. But hip-hop and chess is uh, at the forefront, right? Because, you know, there's Hip-Hop Chess Federation. There's a lot of the jujitsu chess, whatever stuff I've been on. Okay. But what you don't know um, is that when... You, when people see what I say, when people see what I talk about, they don't realize all the research I have to do to figure this stuff out and all the stuff that I have to, you know, try to understand and piece together. And so you don't understand my, who my predecessors are, right? And I try to do a good job of letting you know who influences me. I think it's important as a human being, when someone influences how you think, act, speak, live, it's important to acknowledge the people who came before you. And so in this regard, I had to have somebody who is um, trailblazer. That's an understatement. If I say he's a trailblazer, that's an understatement. I'm talking about Dr. Daim Shabazz of the chess drum. Um, so many years, so many miles traveled. Thank you for coming on to Bishop Chronicles, Dr. Daim Shabazz. How are you? I'm good. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. You know, just out here trying to spread California love all the way down to Tallahassee. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's uh, crazy times in the world. You know what I mean? But but for some reason, I'm oddly excited. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, I, don't I, know why. I, I know you're looking at my background and you think I'm hanging out on the beach, but that's chilling, bro. I need to be with you. We're at his <laughs> estate. He's he's. <laughs> He's broadcasting live from his estate. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, you know, I'm not even going to front. That's just a virtual background. And, you know, <laughs> they, you know, they have um, – we have a lot of beaches down here in Florida, but certainly they're, uh, they're kind of off limits now mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. because, as you know, everybody else knowing your audience is crazy down here in Florida. Nuts. We got the 15,000 cases of, of coronavirus, so – um, this is about as close as I'll get to the beach. Right, right. No, it makes sense, man. It's time to stay tough. You know what I'm saying? That's all there is to it. You know, now, I came across you trying to do research on hip hop and chess. I mean, back in like 2003 or four, like before I started hip hop chess, just doing research, I came across the chess drum. Um, for those that don't know what the chess drum is, can you tell them? what it is. And can you tell them, you know, that this isn't even what you do. Tell them what you do, professor, and then tell them about the chess drum. Well, I'm, uh, first I wanted to, to just thank you for inviting me on to, your, to the Bishop Chronicles. I have uh, known you since at least 2005, 2006. I think yeah. you, you kind of, um, uh, the HHCF, uh, I think you spun that off. What was it? 2006, 2005, 2006? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was later. I think I reached out to you in late. Oh, you know what? 
that's not true. I think I bumped into you around 2003 because I had my first book, the yeah, West yeah, Side Rebellion it. book, right, that had Risen Jizz and stuff in it. And I, yeah, I know you're mentioned in that book for sure. But then it was the Bobby Bruce in the Bronx that came later. But in between that right. time, I started HHCF. Yeah, so I came out to uh, your event in, I think that was 2007. 2007. Yeah. The King's yeah. Invitational. Yeah. But at that time, I was six years into the chess drum. And it's really a long story of how the chess drum evolved over time. But it really started because a question was asked of me mm. by the, a, a white master mm -hmm. after a tournament. We were talking about chess and he was asking me, uh, this question and this mm -hmm. question really sparked this uh, idea that I had mm. and the question was simple where are the black GMs where are the black IMs for those of you who may not know that's black grandmasters and international masters those are the two top levels of right. chess right so he was he was asking me where where are the black players at where are the high level black players now we knew of the national masters right uh, locally here in the right. US but I only had a handful of names. Emery Tate was one, which Emery you, know, Tate. you know Emery Tate, and I'll, we'll talk about him yeah. uh, later. But that question was burning in my mind for a long time. And then I started reaching out to people, started asking questions. I started this kind of research as to how to build a black chess network. Mm -hmm. So this was late 80s. Mm -hmm. Now, I went, I left Chicago, which is where I'm from. And shout out to the shy. Shout out. Yeah. yeah de definitely, uh, definitely a great city. Yeah. And, but I left there. I went to Atlanta for grad school. Mm -hmm. And in one of my classes, we had to do a marketing plan. And I'm thinking this stuff was still in my head. So I'm thinking I'm going to do a marketing plan on a black chess network. Nice. Which is what I did. <laughs> so I did. I did that. You know, I got a good grade on it too. So all right. All right. That was a good thing. And so I started sharing it with different people. And one of the persons I shared it with was Maurice Ashley, mm -hmm, uh, which mm -hmm. many people know that he is a grandmaster, the first African-American grandmaster mm -hmm. uh, that we have. And, you know, he was like, yeah, good idea. And I showed it to some other people. And but at that time I was in graduate school, I didn't have time to do anything right. with this network because it was supposed to be a magazine at first okay I gonna, okay i was going to yeah. do a quarterly magazine paper was still a thing kids paper, paper was, was still, still, a thing. still a thing, it was still a thing. <laughs> and i was going to do a quarterly magazine and i was going to, to ship it all around the world mm -hmm. uh, and this was going to highlight the accomplishments of black chess players that is fantastic but then if you fast forward about a good 10 years because at that time I was doing my master's, mm -hmm. then I did the the doctorate. So and what school were you at? What school were you at? And I what was, was your doctorate in? I was at Clark Atlanta. So my doctorate was International Affairs and Development. Okay. So that took me six and a half years. Mm -hmm. And so I graduated in 98. I come down to Florida, got a position at Florida A&M University, which is where I teach now. Mm -hmm. and, and what do you teach? I teach global business. Mm -hmm. So I have my master's in business and I have my doctorate in international affairs. So I teach international business. Right. And so still the marketing plan was in my file cabinet. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, it was sitting, just there. sitting there. It was just sitting there. So then a couple of things happened. There was an article in Chess Life on Black um, Masters. Mm -hmm. 
written by Gregory Kearse. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is an interesting article. And it was chronicling some of the highlights, uh, uh, highlighting some of the the, uh, accomplishments of black players. And, you know, that was inspiration. But then the real thing that happened, now that article came out in Chess Life in 98. Mm -hmm. Next year, Maurice Ashley was on the cover of Chess Life. I think that might have been the March, the, the May issue, 1999 of Chesla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I reached in my mailbox and I pulled out that magazine and I saw his face, I said, this is it. It's the time. This is the time to take that marketing plan out of my file cabinet and, make and, it we, have to, and we have to move on it. Mm-hmm. So then it took another maybe year and some change for me to create a website. So February 12, 2001 at midnight, I hit that button and then the site was live and then that's when the chess drum was launched. So you've been around for 20 years doing this, man. Yeah, it'd be February. February 20 years, man. That is unbelievable, man. And, you know, for people that haven't been to the chess drum, please go there and hang out. There's a lot of wisdom on there. And it's not just, it's not just not just, it's not at all like, um, a pro-black site where this is happening and that, no, listen, it's about actual history of black chess players, not just in North America, but around the world, right? Like you've traveled to a lot of countries to investigate like what the chess culture is in say like Cuba and other places of the world. Can you talk about chess like as you've traveled and tell me about some of your favorite memories? Chess is, uh, it's, it's a fascinating world. Um, we like to think about chess in kind of parochial ways, think that it's about people with certain IQs, that you have to have a, a PhD in physics to know how to play chess. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these are just misnomers. I mean, you can, right. you can literally learn chess in an hour's time, yep. learn, all, learn all the rules and just begin playing. And it's yep. not hard to learn chess. Mm-mm. But now, if you want to get good at it, that's a different. That's, that's a, a whole di- different story. <laughs> yeah, that's like You can learn jujitsu, right? You be good at jiu-jitsu. It's gonna be taking a right. minute. You know what I'm saying? You, you got to put in some time. You got to put in some work because <laughs> it's like anything else. Yeah. Now, when you go around the world, the, the deep thing is that I cover also top level events. So I've right. covered a world championship. I've covered Olympiad tournaments. I've covered Grand Chess Tour events. And these are the top guys. These are guys are the best uh, of the best. These are the best of the best. But then when you go to some of these small countries, I mean, I've been to Cuba, I've been to Mm -hmm. the Bahamas and Jamaica, and I've been to Ghana and I've visited the chess community there. I've been to Bahrain. Right. Um, You've been to Abu Dhabi. Have you been to Abu Dhabi? I have not been there. I've been to Qatar though, which is also in the Gulf. Right. It's beautiful over there, isn't it? It's kind of beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Very, Very beautiful. In fact, um, my former colleague who lives there, he says, you wouldn't recognize the place now since the last time you were here. What? Because they flipped recognize- it like that? Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. They got so, nothing you- but money, bro. They making it rain over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They making it rain. So that, that, was, that was interesting. And it, it's also interesting that uh, when you go to these places, like I was received in Kenya. I happened to mm-hmm. be in Kenya on a faculty trip. Mm-hmm. And so the Kenya guys came to my hotel and, you know, they, they picked me up and they took me to their spot. Wow. Now, what was their spot? Their spot was just an office space. 
of a long table and some file cabinets over here. It was really nothing. Just a, yeah, just a spot. It was, it was a, just a spot. spot. <laughs> but it, it was, you, you, you can get a sense of the passion, right. the same passion that you would get here in the States or in Europe mm-hmm. that you got in that small office space in Kenya or in the coffee shop in Ghana that I went to, Mm -hmm. or some space in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. Uh, We played, when I went to the Bahamas, we played in kind of a a gymnasium. It was some kind of gym, they had tables set up. But it was beautiful, right? because the passion was there. And one of the things about the chess drum that I enjoy doing is bringing light to stories. Because I'm not, I would some some would call me a historian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do some history segments mm-hmm. and I do chronicle history. I, I typically will do current events. I would right. do news stories, but some of these stories are absolutely fascinating. You'll take a story like uh, Fiona Matesse, mm-hmm. who was um, chronicled in the book Queen of Katwe. Mm-hmm. Katwe is this very small place in Uganda. It's one of the poorest towns in Uganda, and Uganda is one of the poorest countries in Africa. Right. Africa is one of the pretty poorest poor. countries. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's pretty right. poor. So <laughs> you're talking about a place that if you look at a place like that, you would say, wow, how are people making it here? But in that place, Fiona actually stumbled onto chess because she was following her brother to this club meeting, this chess club meeting, and she kind of peeked in. And so Robert Katende saw her peeking in and he said, hey, girl, come here. Mm-hmm. Come here. Mm-hmm. What's your name? And he got somebody to teach her how to play. And that opened up a world for her. That she Man, her journey has been amazing as covered by amazing. Disney. Right? Yeah. And so she had, she had a, a movie that was done by Disney. Right. And now she's a college student at Northwest um, I think it's Northwest University in Seattle, out mm-hmm. in that area. And she may mm-hmm. be finishing up, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Because she was, she was in St. Louis at one of those colleges for a little bit, I think, on, on one of the chess teams out there, I think. Yeah, well, she, she actually uh, traveled around the U.S. doing mm-hmm. a tour, a speaking mm-hmm. tour. After I remember. The, I remember. Uh, uh, after the, the book, but bef- before the movie. But then after the movie, she came back and got a chance to step on the red carpet too. Right. You know, she, because I think it was nominated for some kind of um, Mm -hmm. uh, documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, So they actually got a chance to step out on the red carpet. So that story was amazing. And I probably did about two dozen articles just on her story. Yeah. And now the, the, the irony is you got in chess, you got people that are a little elitist. Right. So when they read a story like that, they may miss the point and say, well, what is her level of play? Right. You know, they'll focus on her level of play and miss right. the story. Right. And there are hundreds of stories like this that are so inspirational. And those are the stories that I like to bring to the audience because it shows a different element of chess. It's not just the gaming. It's not just the sport that, okay, right. I go to the World Open and I win $20,000. Right. Yeah, okay, that's cool. But then you want stories also that inspire. And uh, there are lots of stories that I have covered that, that are inspirational. There's a recent story I did of a local guy here mm-hmm. who has um, cerebral palsy. Now, I met him through the uh, chess club. We used to meet at Borders every Wednesday okay. night. 
And this is a brother, you know, his, you know, cerebral palsy, you have limited mobility. Of and course. His, his limbs are, you know, distorted, but he mm -hmm. can, he can play chess. Mm -hmm. And so I would uh, go to the club meetings and he was there rain or shine. He was mm -hmm. always there in his wheelchair. The uh, Medicar would come and get him and then mm -hmm. they would take him, take him home. Take him back. Yeah. So recently I was saying, I wonder what happened to Walter. So I mm. kind of did a, a Google on him and I found out that, you know, he was still around. He was just struggling a little bit mm -hmm. and they had been um, raising funds for him. Okay. And that was years ago, but now that was maybe about two, three years ago. But recently I found another reference to him and they're doing another fundraiser and he's trying to, to actually get a house. So oh, that, okay. to, to me, that's inspiring because that he's a man with cerebral palsy. And when you listen to him, I mean, the way he speaks is kind of hard to understand. Right. Because right. of his disability. Right. But um, yeah, he's, he's very, uh, he was very dedicated to chess and you can very tell. Resilient. Very his resilient. His eyes light up. His eyes mm -hmm. light up when he's playing and you can just see the energy that he has. So it's those type of stories uh, that I like to tell. Now, in terms of the, the actual, the most memorable, um, the most memorable place you mentioned it, it was actually Cuba. Mm. Uh, Cuba is a place that it's like no other place. That's what, that's what uh, I was interviewing a, a rapper named Mr. F.A.B. And he loved Cuba. He said it was just fantastic, man. I've never heard a bad story of anybody going to Cuba. Everybody who goes to Cuba says it's amazing. It's beautiful. The food's amazing. The people are great. Tell me about it. Yeah, the, 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 now I went with my university. So I, mm -hmm. it wasn't like I went illegally or anything. Right, we right. Like, we have a license. And so as a university, we were able to go over there on that license. Mm-hmm. And I heard all kinds of stories and I'd read history of, of uh, you know, the Cuban revolution and how that came about. And I was always intrigued uh, and I was looking forward to, go to, to going to Cuba. Uh, obviously, it's in the Caribbean, so it, you knew the weather was going to be nice. Mm -hmm. But then one of the first things that you notice when you go to Cuba and anybody out there who's been to Cuba, you can back me up on this, is you'll notice the old cars. Mm -hmm. They do the have 1950s. a lot of old cars. They look great. <laughs> oh, they're beautiful. Some of them look like they just rolled off of the uh, the GM. Yeah, uh, they're really beautiful. Line. They're really well done. Oh, they're 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 amazing, and you'll also notice the Spanish architecture. Mm -hmm. Now, bear in mind when you go to Cuba, you can say, okay, that building needs some paint. It needs tuck pointing. They need a bit mm -hmm. more more modern. They need to fix the streets. Yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the, the infrastructure there, but the people are absolutely wonderful. Mm. They, they, there's this embargo between the U.S. and Cuba, but they love Americans. Right. It's ironic because they'll say, oh, yeah, we, we, we love Americans, but politics bad. Politics yeah, bad. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, politics, they want to stay away from that. Right, right, right. But, you know, it's, um, I went to the chess club there, the Capablanca Chess Club, uh, there in Havana, and they happen to be having uh, a chess tournament in the memory of Rogelio Ortega, who was an Afro-Cuban, former national champion. Wow. And I had, I had written about him. I had written stories about Rogelio. And here I am in Cuba on the day, on the weekend that they're honoring him. And I That's said, unbelievable. Wow, how cool is that? And so I go in the club, and they're playing – 
you know, this tournament and I'm looking around and they had, they actually had a chess set of, uh, I guess that was owned by Capablanca himself. Wow. And then they had uh, some other um, mementos from Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jose Raul Capablanca, who was the world world champion. Such a fan. Yeah, yeah, it's a, the the culture in Cuba for chess is amazing. You will see chess just about everywhere you go there. Wow. So this this club was they had some offhand games going on in the back and I I came there some other days and I played some games. This random guy comes up and wants to play and I'm playing him and you know I play at a pretty good level. Right, right. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is strong. Right. You know we were playing right. game after game. And then another time I played another guy and I couldn't beat that guy. I said, this guy is really strong. Right, right. So you have these random guys coming up. Who and, are just good. They are good. And I was like, man, and, and you know, okay, I know the culture of Cuba. Right. But that showed me that the fabric, the, the, the fabric of the community, chess was so much embedded right. as a part of that history. And I knew why, okay, Cuba is a ch- top 10 chess nation. Mm-hmm. You get to see why. So there's a there's a uh, a photo that I have on my Facebook, my chess drum Facebook page of me playing on the streets of Havana. I was playing a mm-hmm. blitz game, mm-hmm. just walking through the city. Right. I had a, a guy that was taking me. He was showing me around, and we came across some guys who were playing blitz. And so I sat down and I played a couple of games. And yeah. that, that picture is I actually have it framed. Here. That's I know which picture fact, you're talking about. <laughs> in fact, this is you probably I have the virtual background. Yeah, the, ba- the back. The, yeah, but there yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it um that was my favorite. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, pictures. But the other thing is that you'll see chess people playing chess randomly on the street mm-hmm. in their backyards, and we ran we ran across a lot of people just playing random games. But it's also embedded in the artwork. Right. So you go and you'll see these sculptures of chess, chess pieces. You go to the Habana Libre, which was the big hotel back then, which is where the Olympiad was played in 1966. And so they have plaques there in memory of the Olympiad that was uh, held. And you can see Bobby Fischer and a lot of the other players there. So that was absolutely an amazing trip. Uh, I was able to meet a uh, a young man named Vladimir, mm. uh, who I still keep in contact with uh, today, and that was just a fascinating experience. So that was probably one of the most memorable times that I had as far as going to a chess community and actually experiencing all that it had to offer. Uh, and I was grateful for the, the opportunity to, to to actually see that. Man, that is really amazing. You know, and, uh, you know, I have always championed one of the main reasons why I champion chess is because, you know, um, Socrates said, uh, I am not Greek, nor am I Athenian, but I'm a citizen of the world. And Mm -hmm. I've always it's always really resonated with me, not just because I feel that way naturally, but because of if you think about the time that he lived in. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when people were so siloed. Right. Like we are just Greek or we are just Roman or we are just Egyptian for him to have that kind of idea is really beautiful. And so before my children were born, I started thinking like, you know. What is going to make my children citizens of the world? 
right? And so I thought of games, right? I thought of chess. Initially, this is this was years ago because my son's 22 now. <laughs> but, but I thought of chess. I thought of soccer. And I thought of judo. Those were my, those were my first three things. That was before HHCF, right? That was before HHCF. And then obviously over time, it became hip hop chess and, and, and jujitsu. You know what I'm right. saying? But I mean, like, I love that, that global exchange, that, that intercultural, um, interracial, interfaith exchange that chess gives us, you know? Now, um, beyond that, I wanted to talk to you about your book about Emery Tate. Um, Emery Tate is someone who, to me, is probably, arguably, the, the single most unsung Black hero of chess for me. Um, what he did in, in his lifespan, just as a man, let alone as a chess player, is really amazing. Um, and you wrote a book about his life. He was a supporter of HHCF. Um, he came to an event with RZA. He played RZA at one of our events. Um, and you wrote a book about his life. And I think that so many people need to purchase this book, not just because it's you, not just because it's a black author writing about a, a black intellectual chess player, but because it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an undersung history. And this is such a well done book. Can you talk about um, Emery Tate and, and what prompted you to make this book? Because it's important. Well, first of all, I wanted to just say something about the HHCF. I believe what you have done has been, um, I don't even have a word for it, but it's been monumental, you know, to fuse those three art forms. And they happen to be art forms that I have varying levels of passion, you know, being a lover of hip hop, uh, specifically coming up, you know, when hip hop was coming up uh, around the 80s, I actually remember the late 70s when hip hop just broke out, mm -hmm, you know, Sugar, mm -hmm. Sugar, Sugar Hill Gang and, right. you know, uh, Curtis Blow, Run DMC, all the Grandmaster Flash. Right. right. I mean, that, that was really a critical moment in black consciousness. Mm. So to throw chess, hip hop and martial arts, which I also have a particular passion. Right. Uh, I practice different arts, uh, most, most notably uh, capoeira, which, uh, which I trained for some years. Yeah. And also Emery was a martial arts enthusiast as well. Mm -hmm. His sons are kickboxers, champions. Yeah, champion kick, kickboxers. So, so to put these three arts together, I think you are onto something. Thank you. Now, there have been people who talked about this, and, and you know, as you know, right. in many hip-hop songs, you have this whole chess, hip-hop connectivity. Uh, connectivity is there, and it makes perfect sense. And what you've been able to do with that uh, has been absolutely fascinating. Thank and you. with Emory participating in your event, uh, I thought having his impressions about how this connects was really something that you were able to add. I mean, I dude, think it was, was fantastic. It, that it was, was one great. of my favorite memories of HHCF period, you know? Because you had RZA, RZA was there. Yeah, the Rugged Monk was there. They were all there. And you had, they were dropping pearls of wisdoms to each Oof. other. The panel like it was one-sided. It was yeah. like everybody was flowing. Yeah, and, you know, I have to say, 
the main thing I think that's different about HHCF that helps people understand it are the panels. And I always knew that, right? I always knew if I could get, you know, Josh Waitzkin to sit next to RZA, who would sit next to DJ Qbert, you would hear something you ain't never heard before, right? right? And so those panels are everything. And that particular event, um, I still got the uh, some of the video. I think YouTube took them down because we had music, you know what I mean? That was like copywritten or whatever. But like the stuff that Emery Tate was saying that day was mind blowing. His support of the event that day and after was really beautiful. He brought amazing chess players with him. Him and RZA vibed out. Him and Monk vibed out. Him and my kids vibed out. It was really fantastic, you know? And um, so when he passed away, I was really shaken because, you know, he passed away here in the Bay. He passed right. away playing chess. Yep. I mean, he, he, he literally had a heart attack in the middle of a chess game. Yep. You know, here in the Bay. And like, I was just blown away. And so I was so happy that you made this book because I was shocked at how few black news outlets even covered his passing. And it hurt me. It hurt me a lot. Um, because it made me fearful. It made me fearful that too many of our intellectual giants will pass away unnoticed and unacknowledged. And so your book meant a lot to me because that was the kind of acknowledgement that I felt he always deserved, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, talk about what you cover in your book because you have some of his games in there, which I think is yep. important, right? Because that really illustrates his genius. But talk about uh, his book and his life, man. So this is, uh, this is the book. It's called Triple Exclam. The Life and Games of Emory Tate, Chess Warrior. Now, I have to tell you something about the title. Triple exclam. Um, there's really no definition to triple exclam, but in, double, in chess, double exclam means brilliant move. Right. If you see two exclamation points written down during someone's game, that yes. means that was genius. That was that strong. Was genius. That, was, that was unbelievable. Right. right. Single exclam means good move. Right. Double exclam means brilliant move. But Emory used to always say triple exclam because he thought, I mean, big. Head, who, yeah. who saw this coming? Right, right. This is universal knowledge that we're talking about. And he was such a character that I describe him in the book as being an actor on a stage. Mm -hmm. So he would say, hey, let me show you this game. So it would be him in a chessboard. And he would go through this game by memory. Mm -hmm. But then it's almost like he's on a stage by himself and he's acting out the chess game. Isn't it crazy? The it's charisma crazy. that he had, the way that he could do that. Nobody could tell a chess game story. Like him. Like him. Nobody. Nobody. And I, haven't, I haven't seen it since. I haven't no. seen anybody no. able to convey that kind of charisma and energy and calculation it was all yeah. this crystallization of many beautiful things man his yeah. his ideas were 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 very unique but the other thing was that he he was um a lover of languages and he spoke about eight languages russian so, among them russian was, is his uh third language actually because he spoke spanish he went mm -hmm. um he did a study abroad when he was in high school in mexico mm. And then when he was in the military, he went to language training to study Russian. Mm -hmm. And so he was actually working for the Air Force as a Russian interpreter. 
Mm. Uh, and, there, and there are a lot of funny stories about uh, Emory with Russian because obviously there are not a lot of blacks who speak Russian. Right. So, so, sometimes he'll break out the Russian and then Russian people will turn their heads looking at like, him what? in shock. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Wow. How, how is he able to speak Russian? You know, it's amazing. Yeah. I have, a, I have a, a funny story about that in the book. But this is, this is what happened. Emory was playing in a chess tournament and, and he basically gave his life to chess. He served in the Air Force for 12 years and uh, he got an honorable discharge, but he wasn't pleased with some things in the Air Force. Mm. Um, this guy was absolutely brilliant, but sometimes uh, he would say things that were unbelievable. Mm. It is my belief that mm. a lot of people could not understand Emory because he was on this level. He was like up there, up there. He, he was, was like on another the, level. Yeah. Almost like mad scientist level. Just yeah. before mad scientist. Because you could, you could follow him. He would go where you couldn't yeah. go, but you could right. follow him. He wasn't just like out there, out there. You know, but yes, I agree. So he then, he, he got his honorable discharge from the Air Force and mm -hmm. he went back to Elkhart, Indiana, where his mother was. And he started, uh, he had a family that he had started and he wanted to continue chess. And so he started teaching and also playing. And his legend started to grow because the way he played chess was hyper-aggressive. But it wasn't that he wasn't playing chess for himself, although people might say, oh, he's egotistical and all these other things. He was playing chess for the art. He was, right. he was, he was a chess artist, which is consistent with, with the description I just gave you of being as an actor on a stage. Right. He was an exponent of chess as an art form, and he wanted to show the beauty of it. Right. So that's why he would get people and say, hey, let me show you this game. And, and then he would just go and show you the beauty. And it was like this flower opening up. Mm -hmm. and every time mm -hmm. he would make a description that it would become more and more beautiful. And you would able you would be able to see the beauty of his he mind. He pulled you into that moment. He pulled. It you was like in. time travel, bro. He could pull you into that moment. You would feel like you were really there. You were really there on the battlefield. You and know, not only that, that he would start speaking Russian. He would start speaking German. He would sing songs. He mm -hmm. would he would do a, a a rhyme, some kind of hip hop rhyme. Yeah, he was he was he loved hip hop, man. Yeah, he loved he would hip hop. Throw all that into an analysis, and so he was a treasure. He was a he was a storyteller. Yeah, par excellence. And yeah. He, um, I, I was able to, now I met him when he was 21. He hadn't mm. reached that level. Right, yet. right, right, right. Later on, I was able to have my moments with him, one-on-one mm. uh, -on -one moments. And uh, at that time, uh, we were playing at the Chicago Open. Mm. This might have been somewhere in the early 2000s. And he had been struggling with some issues, with some right. um, alcohol issues. Okay. And sometimes people will come up to me and they would say, yeah, I saw Emory and he didn't look so well. Or, mm -hmm. you know, they would describe that. And so he would, uh, was going through some things. And right. so one time I saw him and he looked like a new person. 
Mm. His face was clear, and you know, Henry Henry was a good-looking guy. Yeah, you know, he, he was. He was a suave, a handsome dude. guy. Yeah, he, he was, was big. He was guy. strong. Yeah, yeah, he was very powerful. And when I first saw him, and he was at that time, I think he was about twenty-one. You notice his forearms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah. had on this. He had on this tank top when I first saw him. This big afro. Right. And he had the these. Um, Forearms that looked like Popeye. He did have forearms like Popeye. He did. He did. (laughs) And I'm like, this guy is powerful. Yeah. But then, you know, I would, uh, I saw him on that, that tournament and he looked very, very well. And I said, I said, you're looking good. He says, Oh, thank you. He said, thank you. Cause I think he, he had some health issues that the doctor had kind of pulled his coat and say, Hey, "Hey, man, you got to tighten up. You right. got to tighten up. You got to stop the drinking. Mm-hmm. And so then at the Chicago Open, I was, I think, leaving. And then he says, uh, he says, where are you going? I said, um, I said, you know, I'm, I'm just, um, you know, making a run. He says, oh, he says, uh, you got a car. I, I need a ride. So I, I took him. He wanted to go to the store. Mm-hmm. So we get on in the car and we go down uh, this street, this main street, every, obviously everything is closed because it's a Memorial Day. Right. right. And so we're looking for a store. I'm like, I don't know what's open. He says, Oh, go down the street. So we go down the street. He goes into this store and he comes out, he gets in the car and he has this Brown bag of beer. And I just kind of rolled my eyes. I was uh... like, and I'm like, you're not back on that thing again. I'm thinking, right. You know, he's drinking beer. Okay. Beer is not, the hard stuff but right, thinking, right. it's okay. not it's not like it's like jack daniels or whatever but you but. know how that that goes yeah it, yeah absolutely you drink beer then you want something yeah else. harder something and else. next thing you know you're deep yep. in so right. you're drinking ever clear like three days exactly. later right and, and, and let me tell you this emory can drink with the russians if you know <laughs> if you know anything i don't even want to imagine that yeah he can drink I, with them yeah yeah, and we're talking about vodka. We're talking about the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And but but just to go into that story a little more, when we were in the car, he was telling me about his family. He was telling me about his father, who had practiced law for decades. Mm. He has two sisters who are lawyers. He has another sister who's a, a professor at Brown University. So he just comes from a family of geniuses. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, high pedigree. He has another sister, a half sister, who has a uh, McDonald's franchises in Kentucky. Wow. Now imagine this, Emory helped run some of her McDonald's. Can you imagine Emory managing at McDonald's? <laughs> That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. He was managing his sister's uh, McDonald's in Kentucky, but it just so happened that Emory, um, w- what I heard is that Emory was uh, bossing the boss, trying to pretend right. like he was a boss when you had another manager there that was managing the store. And so that so wasn't going to work. That was short-lived. That's yeah. when he, went, <laughs> he went back to chess. But uh, it just so happened that Emory had this up-and-down situation with uh, alcohol, mm. and he just couldn't shake it. And then in his last days, he he just couldn't – he he – uh, his body just couldn't take it. Yeah, and no, so he, it's tough, he, man. He had some episodes um, in his last days of uh, depression, being depressed and just wondering, what kind of person am I? 
Mm. You know, mm. uh, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? His his half brother told me that that was weighing heavily on his mind before he died. Is what kind of legacy that he could leave for his children? And I said to myself, well, if I have anything to do with it, that his legacy will be safe. Yeah. So in 2015, he was playing in a tournament, and uh, in the middle of a game, as you said. Uh, but he wasn't feeling so well. And mm. months prior to that, he had had an episode where he ended up in the hospital for about a week. Uh, he had, and coming back from uh, Europe, he had been playing in some tournaments. And I don't really know all of the details of what happened, but he had uh, an episode on the plane. And it turns out that he had some... Um, his arteries were, were, were blocked. He had a uh, heart disease. Okay. Uh, he had heart disease, uh, which was exacerbated by some of his other uh, um, things that he was dealing with. Yeah. And so he ended up in a hospital being treated for uh, that heart condition and also for his asthma. Uh, Cause he had, uh, he had that condition as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So he goes back, he starts playing in tournaments again, feels a lot better. And then, but this day in this tournament, he didn't feel well, went to the bathroom and I guess to put water right, on Get face. himself straight, right? Yeah, get himself straight. And then he comes back out of the bathroom and he says, someone call 911. And then he just collapsed. He collapsed and the whole tournament was just looking around what right. is going on. And he's there laying down and then everybody's around them. And then I think uh, someone tried to CPR until CPR. the paramedics came. Right. And then they took him to the hospital, which was only about uh, less than 10 minutes away. Yeah, because it was in Fremont, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I used to live um, in Fremont, so yeah. And so he, he hung on until later that evening. They um, say that he, he didn't make it. They contacted his sister who lives in the area and... Um, Maurice Ashley, I talked to him the next morning because I, I didn't know at that time. Right. But Maurice says, well, you know, Emery passed away. And I was like, what? Yeah. Said, you got to be kidding. So I got on the internet and I just started frantically. Now, obviously there wasn't a lot of information, but then I had someone contact me, Mike Klein of chess.com. He was asking mm. me information about Emory. So I'm thinking everybody's in a frenzy trying to trying to figure out what's going on. You know, right. Announcements about him. Right. And so I made an announcement that he had passed away. I confirmed it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was very sad when I was writing this. It was just like I, I can't even imagine. I was in a daze. And so years ago, I, had, I told Emery that he needed to write a book on himself. Mm -hmm. He needed to just put 20 of his games in there and I'll help him. Just put drop, it together. right, right. And he's like, ah, he says, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put myself out there like that. And I, but then later he says, you know, I've been thinking about what you, what you told me about the book and I might, that's something I might, might be down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He said that, but then we never really got to the point. So when he passed away, I started almost immediately putting together information for a book. Uh, I started in December of 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book came out in 2017 in March. Mm -hmm. And again, it's triple X glam. And when I first released the book, I, I think in the first six months, I sold about 450 copies mm -hmm. in six months. 
So for chess books, that's that's, that's huge, really dude. Good. Yeah, <laughs> that's really that's good. huge. Yeah, for for a chess book. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's really a blessing that you made that book, and it really speaks to like a, a greater discussion I, I need to have with you right now, and that is, um, so you know, I have seen, I believe, in the Wall Street Journal and a few other publications, this whole new thing about, you know, since the quarantine, chess is, is mainstream and, you know, people are talking about how chess.com has gone up and da 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 and like, you know, there's all these things and they're like, chess is back, it's so cool, blah, blah. And I'm looking and I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed, Dr. Shabazz, because no one's talking about the role that Wu-Tang has played in chess as a global thing, especially in communities of color. No one's talking about HHCF. No one's talking about the chess drum and, and what a diligent role they have played in keeping urban chess alive and well and understanding it culturally on a global perspective, right? And this isn't about my ego. This is about how do you ignore an obvious chunk of the story? You can't have a conversation about chess in America in the last 20 years and not talk about what hip hop chess has been doing. You can't have this conversation and not look at Maurice Ashley and all of the tournaments that he's been, uh, 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 what do you call it, commentating, you know what I mean? And the charisma that he brings to the discussion, right? He brings a lot of positive energy. He, oh, yeah. he when he's doing a game, you might as well be watching a boxing match. You might as well be watching the <laughs> UFC. The way that he, the way that he announces, you know, how people are moving, what that move means, especially for people that don't understand the complexity of, of the positions and things like that. Like what he does is a huge deal. And so I feel like yet again, even in a modern era, African Americans, Latinas, Latinos, just all minorities seem to get like pushed aside in this modern discussion of chess and how you think you can have that without 36 chambers, how you think you can have that without eight diagrams, without, you know what I'm saying, all these albums, man, and all this music, all the stuff that the Jizza did, whether it's the Grand Masters album that he did with, uh, with, with DJ Muggs or um, Liquid Swords, which he did with RZA, the cover art, all of this stuff, none of it is getting mentioned. And so mm. now I'm seeing, getting to my point, I'm seeing, um, you know, uh, US Chess Federation is like, you know, oh, you know, Black Lives Matter to us too. And everybody's trying to act like they have a vested interest in um, discussing and showcasing Black achievements and influence in chess and I am just not seeing anything happening. And I'm really disappointed. And I'm not disappointed from a place of ego. I'm disappointed because I know a lot of the people who are doing nothing know better. Mm -hmm. They know better. They know who's making the moves. They know who's been making the moves. For someone to come to you and be like, yo, chess is a really big deal. Would you like to be interviewed on that? Yeah, sure. And you ain't gonna mention all of the, you know, uh, all of the things that have been happening in the hood around chess, take HHCF out, take the chess drum out. There's a lot happening in New York. There's a lot happening in LA. There's a lot happening in DC. And so I don't understand how um, in the aftermath of everything that's come after George Floyd and BLM and Brown Lives Matter and unity and diversity, we trying to figure it out. But that exclusion inside the chess world 
or negation. It's almost like an apathy is, is still very prominent in my opinion. Like what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's multi-layered. Uh, when you talk about the chess world, it's definitely multi-layered because you have the tournament chess mm-hmm. and then you have the chess as kind of a cultural activity, mm-hmm. something that people have an impression of. They may not know how to play, right. but they have a particular impression about chess being something positive. Right. Then you have chess that is infused in just about everything. It's infused. You see it all the time in commercials. People mm-hmm. always talk about the chess game, even when they're referring to football or mm-hmm. sports. Yeah, all the time that, in the UFC now. Yeah, the two right. coaches are playing a chess game. Yeah. Or they'll, they'll say it in terms of politics. Mm-hmm. Or anything that has to do with strategy mm-hmm. or some type of tactics, they will use chess as the metaphor. So you have the kind of public persona of chess. Then you have the competitive sporting mm-hmm. aspect of chess. And those two are very separate. What I mentioned earlier about the Queen of Ketwe, which is kind of a, a literature piece, mm-hmm. basically giving you chess and the benefits of chess and how it was able to help her pull herself out of poverty. Mm-hmm. Then you got the sports side of chess. Yeah. So the people who are on the sports ch- side of chess would look at a story like that and they would say, oh, how many tournaments has she won? Mm-hmm. What's her rating? Right. I got a lot of that when HACF first started because they were like, right. well, how strong is RZA? Well, how right. strong is Jizza? Well, who cares, blood? Can you rap? Shut up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, this is a dude who's an artist who's stepping in to something that he loves. And while you're going to try and judge him on his rating... Right? right. You won't step up and do what he's doing. So he's willing to step into your world to have that cultural exchange. But you're going to be sitting in some kind of fake ivory tower, right, judging his chest, but not observing or acknowledging the impact of his music and his lyrics, which I just think is disgusting. And not, not only that, what you said earlier about the chess oriented uh, music, mm-hmm. that a lot of rap groups have have put out. Um, that that gives a lot of exposure to specifically people who may not have normally had an interest in chess. Like they'll this. look at that. They'll look at the thirty six. They'll look at that video, the thirty six chambers, and it's like, whoa! I didn't mm-hmm. know that it mm-hmm. was that deep. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a classic. I, I like that video myself. That, that yeah. was an excellent video. But I think you have a lot of things that are going on now. You have people reacting to George Floyd. Right. But for us, this has been going on 400 years. I mean, we've been we, here, we, homie. <laughs> we, we've been experiencing this for a Been here. So it, it's like this thing where something happens. And, and I think the thing was when they saw George Floyd being choked out, you know, with a knee to the neck, yeah. Yeah. that was up front and it was raw. And people yeah. were looking at this. And I guess for the first time, they were able to see something in the, in the expression of the police officer who had his hands in his pocket. Yeah. The heartlessness and the, the, like the he casualness. Was just, he was so casual killing a black man. He was just so casual. And it was like, yeah, it's just another day's work. Yeah. And I think that struck something into a lot of people, specifically us who, I mean, we've been through this many, many times where we've had police officers uh, involved in some type of abuse or death 
uh, and we can we can tick off all the names. They even have a uh, they have a hashtag. You know, say their names. Yeah, you know, yeah. And there's names. more names than we can say. Right, right. And so we we've been dealing with this for for a long time. Long but time. I think now, since people see the 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 blatant disregard for Black Lives, mm-hmm. they feel obligated that okay, now we have to make a statement. There is no more excuses. Right, to say, you are, are you still unaware, bro? You ain't knowing? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, you know, and I'm, I'm on Facebook sometimes and people are making these comments. Oh, well, I thought this was over in 2020. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? We never fixed it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, how, well, you think that it, it, it uh, that solved itself? And you know what's hilarious? Everyone who says that, none of them are black. Right. None right, of them exactly. are black. It's never exactly. like, because <laughs> he knows. He was like, I, I, I was getting profiled on the BART train last week. So I, I, I know it's still here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we know. I mean, we, we live it all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this is this is a reaction. And then you see people out in the streets. You see mm. masses of people mm-hmm. in, in so many different cities, including Portland, Oregon. Now, when I yeah. saw the, the flow of people in Portland, Oregon. That was self when self accuses self, then that's the judgment. When you have that many people going out saying that, hey, something is wrong in this society right. and we need to fix it. What I'm concerned about is that we do the marches, we do the, the murals that have been painted, beautiful murals. Right. You paint Black Lives Matters on everything. You take down Confederate statues. You rename streets. You do all of this. But at the end of the day, where's the legislation? Where's the where's the policy change? Where's the policy change? Right. Because otherwise, in the three months, in three months from now, we're going to be doing this thing over. Yep. No, 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 no. It's real. When November hits, oh, and that man. election goes down, it's going to be crazy. Let's say if, if, if Trump loses, there's going to be it's going to be uh, wild, man. It's going to be kind of wild. It's going to so, be wild. You know. And so what I what I'm wondering is, you know, if you had advice for people who run some of the more mainstream chess organizations, if you had advice for people who um, maybe run chess clubs that aren't as inclusive, because one of the things that, you know, that I keep trying to explain to people when you're dealing with hip hop and chess and chess in the hood is that kids in the hood do not play chess to win tournaments. They do not necessarily know or care who Magnus Carlsen is. They don't necessarily know or care about Hikaru Nakamura and, and you know what I mean? And other amazing players. They're just trying to survive. They're yeah. just trying to not die in Chicago this weekend because last weekend a whole bunch of people got shot. So they're just like, yo, I need to not get tricked. I need to understand consequences of my actions. I need to calculate risk, right? I need to protect myself. Mm-hmm. I have limited resources. And how do I, you know, format uh, my limited resources in, in, in a formidable way? And so hip hop and chess has a totally different kind of, 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 of thing. Now, when I was uh, teaching uh, some of the curators at the World Chess Hall of Fame for Living Like Kings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, Shannon, who was one of the women there, said uh, that, you know, the fastest growing demographic of chess players was African Americans, right? When when that exhibit ran, right? In, 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 in 2014. And that was ran because, amazingly, uh, uh, Jennifer Shahadi connected me to Susan Barrett who was the director of the World Chess Hall of Fame at the time, which is right across the street from the, from the St. Louis Chess Club. And we did a record-breaking um, um, exhibit right there. 
um, that had more people on its opening day than came out for Bobby Fischer when his exhibit ran. And it was, it was beautiful. It was heartfelt. I'm grateful to RZA. I'm grateful to Shannon and, and um, Susan and everybody else who played a part in that, right? But what always seems to happen is that at the end of the day, I feel like in the mainstream chess community, there is like a, there's like a default undermining of the black chess world and, and it's quiet, but the, 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 the vibe feels like it's not good enough. It's not real enough. It's not uh, 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 cool enough. And I'm just like, man, all of the rest of the chess in the world is what keeps it going. I respect all the top players. I respect, you know, all the grandmasters. I don't have any remote undermining for anything they've ever done, anything they might do. But chess around the world is not driven by that 1%. It's driven by everybody else. It's driven by the right. grandma who beat her grandson. It's, it's driven by the, the daughter who just finally beat her dad after five years. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what keeps chess going in Italy and in Spain, in Australia, in China. That's what drives it. And so what advice do you have for, for white organizations or true, we don't even say white. I'm going to say that any, almost every chess organization that exists is by default white because it's a competitive thing. And African-Americans and Latinos don't always necessarily play in, the, in that space. So how can they be more inviting? What advice do you have for them? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, all these things that you're mentioning. I have all of these things going through my head. And I, do, <laughs> right. I remember your exhibit because I, I went and I saw the exhibit and I did a story on it. And I've been to St. Louis many times. I have people across the bridge in East St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And Shout I out to STL. I love St. Louis so much. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a good place. And of course they made an effort to go into the community as an, as an outreach. Mm -hmm. But I'm on the board of directors for the Florida Chess Association, and I was a delegate uh, the past uh, last August when we mm -hmm. were in Orlando for the, for the meetings. And I understand, and I went on the floor and I asked a question about demographics of the USCF. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I asked if they kept data on ethnicity and they don't mm. keep that data mm -hmm. so you don't know the numbers you don't know how many blacks right Hispanics, right. Asians, right how many indians chinese right you don't have you any. don't know you, you don't know the numbers because for me in order for you to to successfully market and target you have to know the numbers right you have to know what you're not doing who you're not reaching right and the places that you can possibly target now we know about New York. We know that right. a lot of the black talent comes out of New York. For sure. Comes out of places that, you know, the the major metro areas. Right. The Chicago's and the LA's and Atlanta, all of those areas have these uh this activity. Most of it uh I would find is going to be in the informal type of chess. And you know mm -hmm. a lot of us we like to play 5 minute chess. We like exactly. to play blitz. Because let's be honest, it's quick. And a lot of us don't have the time because we're out trying to survive, right? Right. You, you can't spend hours and hours and hours and hours studying chess when the return on your time is not going to be as great. So a lot of right. us stick to the five minute, the three minute chess, right. the bullet the chess, bullet. Or whatever. Right. A lot of guys play for money. And you, you, right. you go in New York, they set up tables and they play for money all, all the time. time. Word. But I think, I think one of the problems would be that first, we don't have 
the records. We don't have the data or the demographics in order to know how to target our community. Mm. The other thing is that we don't have the boots on the ground. We have a lot of people doing things like, you know, uh, Orrin Hudson, who is right. out of Atlanta. Shout out to Orrin. Yeah. yeah right. Doing fantastic work. And I've covered him over the years. Mm-hmm. And so his thing is, just as you mentioned, his thing is for life, st- life skills, mm-hmm. make better decisions, mm-hmm. and all the things that chess is known for. Right. You know, being patient, being disciplined. Right. It's not necessarily to become masters. Exactly. And so what he does is he builds up those social skills and those those skills that these young men and women need to survive. Mm-hmm. And for him, that's what he's striving to do. Yep. So you have that type of organization. And then you have the organizations that say, okay, we're going to try to make you into a master level player Mm-hmm. or possibly a grandmaster to reach that level. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of organizations that that serve as, as kind of a... Like feeders? Uh, like a, feeder right. schools? Right. I was going to say incubation. Kind right. of an incubation That's where I always thought HHCF was going to be. That was always my intention, right? Was mm-hmm. to attract kids to chess, find out who really wants it, and be like, right. oh, you really want to really get better? Play like, uh, you know, Caruana. Check exactly. out Fabiano's game. Oh, you really like, uh, you know, uh, chess and you're black? Here goes Maurice Ashley. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that, that's, that's the thing. You have the levels here. You have the different levels. You've got the community outreach, which is we want you to play chess to be more disciplined. It'll help mm-hmm. you with your studies. Mm-hmm. It'll help you with your math skills. Mm-hmm. So that's one level. And then you got the other level that, Okay, we want you to be become a straight master. competitive. Right, this is competitive, competitive, and we playing for keeps over here. But there's a there's there's kind of a disconnect because what you find in a lot of organizations is that they'll they they want to get children engaged in chess, but it takes a lot of resources. When we talk about creating talent, creating masters, creating mm. grandmasters, that takes a lot of resources, and it also takes. Uh, when I say resources, I'm not just talking about money, but that's one thing. But it also takes coaching. Mm-hmm. And it takes the right type of coach. Because right. we, we, we might have a, a different learning style. You might right. have one teacher that teaches a certain way, but that's not conducive to the way this particular student will learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I find is lacking uh, in our community is that we don't have uh, mentorship. We, we, we don't. don't. And that's something that I've also tried to provide and, you know, bring other yeah. people on to help do that. I think that that's crucial. We don't have the mentorship in chess. And a lot. And what I've tried to do with the chess drum is I've tried to give these stories to our youth so they can read about a Stephen Muhammad. Mm-hmm. They can read about a Maurice Ashley. Mm-hmm. They can read about a Emory Tate and some yeah. lesser known masters. They can yeah. read about them as well yeah. and inspire them. And some Shout out to Simitoe. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I covered, started covering him when he was 18, 19 years old. Yeah. But we don't have the kind of the mentorship and we don't have the, the sense of history, which I think on our end in the black community, that's lacking. Mm. That's something we need to do. As far as other organizations, I think that there just needs to be more uh, of accessibility. Uh, more, I think yeah. It's got to be more accessibility. And I think the thing with online chess is online chess makes it more accessible because you don't necessarily 
have to go to a chess club. Wander into a club and you're nervous or feeling like an outsider, right? So I think this is going to help as far as that's that's concerned. Now, people ask me all the time, Maurice Ashley became a grandmaster in 1999 and we haven't Mm -hmm. had one since. Mm Mm-hmm talking about african-american right we have for sure black grandmasters around the world right but he's the only one that was produced here mm-hmm. uh we have a young brother casa corley mm-hmm. who is gunning for the title he has two grandmaster norms he only needs one more so explain that to someone who doesn't know what that means like what does that mean what what, what is a norm and why is it important So you need three what are called norms which means that is a grandmaster level performance that you achieve in one tournament, which means that you have to play uh, at grandmaster level. Right. So if you do that three times, uh, three different tournaments, and of course you're playing grandmaster level competition, then you would get what are called the requisite norms, the three norms, but you also need to reach a 2,500 uh, level general rating. level right. right right you need to reach uh by the world chess federation you need to reach 2500 mm-hmm. and so if you get the three norms and the 2500 rating then you would become uh, a grandmaster Grandmaster. Yeah. corley has two okay so he needs his, one more to pull it off he needs one more and then he needs about 50 rating points maybe so a little uh, jump right yeah he needs okay. a little uh, a little jump so he's right there and we have a couple others and where's he from He's originally from New York. Okay. Uh, he's based out of New York, and his he has grandparents from Denmark. Oh, wow. So Crazy. He, he has dual citizenship. I think his father is half Danish, half Ghanaian. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and, wow. And so he could even get the Ghanaian citizenship if he wanted. And he wow. Told me, yeah, I could have okay. three citizenships. That's tight. But, That's uh, tight. He, He's actually playing under under the Danish flag now. Okay, uh, okay. Because it gives, gives him uh, more opportunities uh, but I think one, one of the issues with us is that we have a lot of hardworking people. Uh, you mentioned uh, the HHCF. Right. Uh, we've mentioned Orrin Hudson. You've got a lot of organizers. You've got people uh, like Frank Johnson, who's doing his thing on this, uh, chess streaming. You have a lot right. of streamers. Right. We got people doing things. But it's there isn't the collective community, right? Everybody's kind of doing it solo, right? Like yeah, everybody's doing yeah, it that's, solo. that's a good point. And I think to to your point, a that's a big deal, right? So if you are any kind of minority player in chess, right, you should be looking to network with other people. I think on the mm-hmm. flip side, one of the things that's lacking in the mainstream chess world is they do not acknowledge at all any black contributions to chess or minority contributions to chess, unless it just happens to be black history month. And then you get that, like, like I mean, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're, we're, we're near the same age. You remember when you were in school, like MLK had like a small paragraph, right? So every February, somebody would be like, and this black guy played chess next. And they just keep going. Right. And it's mm-hmm. not as if African and Arab chess players didn't bring the game into Europe. These right. Muslims, they don't talk about that, right? They don't talk about um, different black players outside of February and just be mm-hmm. like, hey, did you know who this player is? Look at this game from Emery Tate. Hey, check out, you know, before he was a grandmaster, let's look at this game from Maurice Ashley. You know, there's no, oh, check out this. This is a new rap record from so-and-so. Like they don't let you in. 
to any of that stuff um, in a consistent, meaningful manner, right? And so it just smacks of like, it just makes me feel like mainstream chess outlets aren't even trying. It makes me feel that they're not sincere. And it's like, if you don't want to acknowledge me, just say that then. But don't pretend like it's cool. Don't pretend like the door is open publicly, but privately keep it closed. Because that's but not you know, fair. It's, it's, it's interesting because since I've been doing the chess drum, or before I started doing the chess drum, I couldn't find hardly any information in mainstream chess media on black chess players. Every now mm -hmm. and then there might have been a story about someone in chess life, but there was really nowhere to turn. So I right. had to really dig and find this information on my own. Right. I've been, I've been doing this for a long time just for the reasons you've stated. I've tried to bring people together to see, okay, what is the HHC? Common histories doing? and right, what right. What is be someone, what is Orrin Hudson doing? What, yeah. is, what are they doing in Jamaica? Orrin Hudson was at one of the first HHCF events, actually. Yeah. He came out to the Bay. You know what I'm saying? I haven't seen him in some years, but I got to salute that man. He does a lot of good work. You know what I he mean? Does. You he know? does. He does. And the thing is, you mentioned collaboration. Now, mm -hmm. we, we've got people, as I said, we've got people who are organizers. We've got people who are players. We've got people who are journalists. We've got people who do a lot of different things. But there, there, there isn't the, the consistency. Right. And for even the, we have a, what's called the National Blitz League that, that's, mm -hmm. was founded by some brothers in Chicago, and they're doing a fantastic job in terms of promoting chess on that platform. It's basically an online platform. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of energy for the things that we're doing, but I don't see us reaching uh, to the youth to continue Dude. kind of this tradition because, you know, if let's say that I decide tomorrow that I don't want to do the chess drum anymore, then, right. okay, well, what happens? Right. You know, who's who's going to write Who's going to carry that? Right. Who's going to carry that? If you, you decide I mean? that, okay, I'm not doing the HHCF. Right. Then what's going to happen? If right. Maurice decides, I don't want to do done. broadcasting. I'm right. done. And you know, we're, we're getting, we're blowing out our birthday candles every year. So Come we got to start grooming Adis people. is old. You heard me? Deese <laughs> <laughs> is old. Help we me out, youngsters. I need you to carry the baton yeah. for the OG. Yeah, you know we got to start grooming. And there, there is just not that sense of community that we have to kind of bring people along and i'm you know frankly trying to figure out ways in uh because i realized that i've been doing this 20 years right but you know things change in terms of how we consume media because there was a time where people went to blogs all the time and that's they read. true and they read right and so now, now there's a lot less reading a lot now less they're reading. not reading they're looking at videos right so that's how people are getting their information. Hence so, Bishop Chronicles, baby, and why you're Bishop a Chronicles, <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> and so I got some stuff, you know, that I'm going to do called the drum beat. I've done some segments in the past. Yes, yes. Keep doing, doing them. Drum, drum beat segments and promoting others who, who, who yeah. are doing things. Uh, but I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to – uh, make ourselves more visible as well. And mm -hmm. I have to continue to do what I'm doing. Right. We all have to kind of um, try to push our levels uh, individually while but, we try to gather then, collectively. The other thing is that you alluded to is, is that, and we talked before we went on, mm. is you said, well, I don't think the chess drum gets its due in terms of right. the contributions. And we may not do that enough 
to each other. Like right. you do an interview, somebody does an interview, they should mention right. some of these other organizations. So right. then they can go out and say, hmm, I'm going to check out HHCF. I'm going to, ch- to check out the Hip Hop Chess Federation yeah. that you mentioned yeah. in the interview. Or I'm going to check out Be Someone or I'm going to right, check right. out some of these. We don't do that enough. And sometimes I agree. You know, I'll see somebody do an interview and then there will be a time when they can throw something in there. And they don't. A shout out and, and it doesn't happen. And I'm like, that was a perfect moment to yeah, you know, to, yeah. to push the narrative that is not just you. Just, yeah. There are a lot of other people and that we can also pull into this conversation and enrich it. Yeah, you know, from so many different perspectives. Yeah, you know, uh, and on that note, I would just like to acknowledge uh, Mazi Mutafa over at Bum Rush the Boards out in D.C. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, because he's been, he's a fantastic friend from way back, but like he's done a lot of events around hip hop and chess, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from way, way back. Uh, and I also want to shout out the Newark Chess Club in New Jersey because recently they started doing memes that had rap lyrics and chess and, and, and they said, you know, they were inspired by an interview or uh, a list of rap lyric songs that I did for Genius, for Rap Genius. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they were like, because of that, we're doing these memes. And they just shouted me out. And I love that because I don't know any <laughs> of them cats. Right. right and now right. they're shouting me out. Now I'm shouting them out. And that's what I love doing. You know what I mean? Um, I, I really I, love yeah, I, I get that. I get that sometimes because I'll get, um, you know, I'll see tweets and mm-hmm. I'll see um people giving or, or referring to articles that sometimes i've even forgotten about it's like i Dude, don't even, I don't I even remember that article <laughs> right it's like, oh it's still getting traction which is it's good beautiful. but yeah. we've gotta we, we've gotta do more of that with each other we've gotta right. you know, and if, shout out to the howard chess club right uh yeah. you know what i mean uh my, my boy sultan he's like a youngster been reaching out to me loves hhcf you know what mm-hmm. i mean and so he's been doing a lot of positive stuff around chess too. So I want to, I want to, I, I think, I think that's, we have to start doing more of that right. because if we don't have a collective community, if we don't then, show that we're here as right, a group. Exactly. And so that, I think that points to what you were saying before, because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. Other people don't see the urgency in shouting you out. Or and, even just the beauty of it, right? They don't, the beauty of it. One thing I'm going to say before I go, and then I got to ask you one more question, is this. Uh-huh. Um, oh, man, I lost my point. I got so, man, I start talking with you and my brain starts swimming. I'd be like, <laughs> what about this? Don't forget to ask him. What about that? Don't forget. Um, so, oh, here's what I was going to say. One of the best things about the Living Like Kings exhibit was the film. Remember, there was a film. It had yeah. two, right? You yeah. were going to a room and on a wall it. here and a wall here, right? And it was narrated by the following people. Me, Riza, you, Rocker from Dilated. Uh, who's the brother, who's the brother that the movie, uh, that the movie was made about? The, the Move Like a King. What was that? You know what I'm talking about. The, they had Cuba Gooding Jr. in it. What was that? What was that movie? The chess movie. Uh, it was a life, 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 life of a king, right. life of a king. That real guy, I'm blanking on his name right now, tragically. He, his, his audio was on there. And it was in this film that was made by me and a guy named uh, Kaplan, who, who was from St. Louis, and he put that film together. I always said, you should be streaming that for free because people don't know to come to St. Louis, right? The yeah. idea was 
oh, we'll have this film here. You have to be exclusive to come see it. And I was like, no, I'm a tech guy from the Bay. So I'm like, no, give the film away as the invite to come to the exhibit. And you know what? They didn't listen to me. It was still a successful thing, but I think it would have been much more successful had they given a free streaming online access. I think in these kinds of times, it might be wise to stream that video now. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they could put that video on their site right now, right? And perpetual, and perpetual viewing, and you could just go on and check it out for free. That would help a lot. And you know people I mean? still know who Cuba Gooding is. He's not old, right. so old that right. they'll say, okay, I don't know who that is. Right. But he, he, um, it was uh, Eugene Brown was the name of the, Eugene, of the brother. Eugene, my dude. Uh, I haven't talked to him in years. He's yeah, so he's doing he's he's doing well, and I think he actually moved back up on the East Coast because I think you're the, right. He yeah. moved down south, and then then yeah, I think I you're right. Yeah, to take care of some things, and then he moved back. I think, I think the Big Chair Chess Club is that the Big Chair Chess Club? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know so what I'm saying? He's, like he's I would love it though. His thing. I would love it if that film would be released by the World Chess Hall of Fame. They should redrop that as it was. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I just think that there they don't have to be huge moves to make chess more accessible. You know what I mean? To uh, blacks and other minorities. It's little things. But I think that there needs to be a higher level of sincerity inside these organizations and a sustained commitment. I think that's what I'm, I'm most frustrated with. One off kind of like appeasing actions right? And not enough sustained, consistent. We're acknowledging Islamic uh, influence in chess. We are acknowledging this young Latina from South Central who's, you know what I mean? Who, who just won her first tournament. We're not seeing enough of that. And I well, would like to see more of that. It's like the MLK tournaments that they have every right. year. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, you have this tournament, people started holding these MLK tournaments, which is good. Right. But it's kind of like one of those things, okay, it's a one shot deal. And it there there's no and and again, I'm not I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Right, right. But we don't have any sustained activities of outreach, you know, to these communities. Yeah. I think that if you're in a mainstream chess organization or news agency, the question you need to ask yourself is, what more could we do today? Just mm-hmm. ask that. Don't talk about what you did. I don't want to hear about past tournaments. What could you do today? What more could you do today? Those are the, the, those are the questions. Um, before I go, um, I want to talk about hip-hop specifically as it relates to artwork, right? So there's a rapper named Ka. I don't know if you know his album, but he had an album called The Night's Gambit. And he had like a street chess board with like a portion of a night. Then you have like uh, these two rappers, MF Doom and MF Grimm, they're playing chess on an on a, on a album cover. There's also Liquid Swords, obviously, right? Like what are some of your favorite chess related rap covers? Because I think that's part of the art that we miss when we have this discussion. Everybody thinks it's about lyrics. It's also about chess art. It's about videos. Do you have any particular rap albums, covers that you recall, or um, even video, even video moments that you recall that are pretty dope to you? Well, I, I told you the one that that I really, I think it, it um, says a lot when you talk about 
the uh, the Wu Tang. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was that was the one on the um, uh, Thirty Six Chambers. Uh, right, right. The I Mysteries of Chess Boxing video. Mysteries of Chess yeah. Boxing, which I think is interesting because that that um, I mean, you had all the you had a variety of rappers on there, but that showed a lot of different levels of chess. Yeah, it showed the social, political. It showed the metaphysical. Mm-hmm. It showed mm-hmm. the sporting. Mm-hmm. It showed warfare. There was all this. Right, like all of the visual. You're right. That's a good everything, point. Everything was in that video. Yeah. And then it was it was actually choreographed on a chessboard. And then crazy. it had the figures there. It had the, had the logo. It was it crazy, logo, man. Everything. And then it had the, the scenery. And it, mm-hmm. was just, it, was, it was, I think, if you wanted to... Uh, and and that video is all over my all over the chess drum because right 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 I, I think when people watch the video they can kind of understand what's going on you don't really have to know how to play chess right to know that there's it's deep enough a, right a battle you know these guys are talking about battling yeah mental that's warfare physical warfare about. you know what I'm saying yeah and that's yeah. what chess is but chess is you know people say oh well you know chess is, is is not physical but it is physical Ooh, it's very physical but it's metaphysical Oof. because you're, yes. you're actually moving you're moving things in your head when, mm-hmm. you, when you're studying chess and i've had this experience playing in tournaments you're studying so hard that you can actually feel your brain cells firing off oh man it's going you can see you can see the pieces moving you can man. actually see them physically moving I don't know if you checked it out, but there's a, one of our most recent episodes, I interviewed a guy named Dr. Elliot Gann, and we talked about hip hop and the human brain. And he talked about the cognitive function, what's happening in the brain when it's doing chess, when it's rapping, when it's, you know, it's unbelievable, the cognitive uh, pistons that are, that are jumping off, you know, during that time. Yeah, Um, I've, I've actually, that experience is amazing because when you get into the zone in chess, you're actually trying to delve into the future. We're using parts of our brain that we don't normally use. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going into the deep recesses of the mind. And we're, we're, we're actually, it's, an, it's a self-analysis too. You're analyzing yourself. Because when you play chess, after the game, you can say, oh man, I was a little impatient. I was impulsive. Yep. I didn't use my time good enough. I'm not paying attention. All these things are self-assessment. Yeah, you know, because what comes out when you play a, a chess game, what comes out of you, you could actually see, unlike if it's inside of your head or you can't see it. Right. right? You know, it's just these thoughts right. going around your mind. Random you fragments. Chess, they're coming out of your mind onto a board and you can actually see I made that mistake. I was impatient. Mm-hmm. I got to be more impatient. You, self right. chess causes you to self-analyze give you a, a, a self-analysis of what's inside of you. And then you can go and correct things. You can say, okay, I need to do something about my patience. Okay, yeah. maybe I'll take up yoga. Maybe I'll do meditation. Maybe I'll do right. things. And then next time when I go into a chess game, I'll, I'll be, be better. Or I can, my, my time, I can manage my time a little better. Or I can, um, maybe I need to eat better. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm eating crap, and I need before I play a game, and maybe I need to eat more nu- nutrient 
uh, nutrient dense foods. Yeah. Play because no, that's, that's deep, man. That affects everything. It does. It does. And so, man, I just want to thank you for being a guest on Bishop Chronicles. I appreciate you. Please tell people how they can reach out to you on Instagram and like online and whatnot. So Instagram, I'm chess drummer. And um, my site is the chessdrum.net. I'm also on Facebook, the chess drum. And I'm on Twitter. So you can reach me at all of those places. And I looked, uh, I'm working on another book, actually. What? Uh, all right. Serious. All uh, right. It's, it's a major project, but then you, you'll know. You'll know. I can't it, wait. It, well, dropped. then you'll have to come back, man. We'll, we'll, you'll have to come back. But, you know, I just want to reiterate, man, how, how, um, how grateful I am to you uh, on a personal level, but in general, like as a scholar, as, as a champion of chess culture, period, as specifically as a, che as a, as a champion of intercultural, interfaith uh, histories and connectivities in chess, because it means a lot to me. And I know it means a lot to so many people that read your site, read your book, and so many more that I hope will after this interview, man. So I just want to thank you for, for your contributions and your time today. I appreciate you. Cool, man. All right, all right. Bishop Chronicles, you know what it is. Go to the chess drum, follow him on IG, and uh, go play chess with one of your homies right now. And if you don't know chess, ask somebody who does and have them teach you today. Teacher, what style is that? Don't think, don't think. You are now listening to the Bishop Chronicles.